Jonah Hides. That's what we're talking about today in this series, which we're calling Jonah Offended by Grace. Um, I don't know if you've ever had those times in your life when you just feel stuck. It just doesn't seem to make any difference how much you pray, uh, what you do. It just seems impossible to go forward. And you ask yourself, why is it all so difficult? Why am I not in the place that I think I ought to be? And of course, in normal times, <laughs> most of us are too busy to really reflect on it and think it through, these kinds of feelings. But the pandemic has been a different rhythm. And all, and, and all the uncertainty that it's caused has, made, uh, has caused many of us to stop and think and say, hold on, what? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? And I've had this kind of conversation with lots of people uh, around the place. And, and one of the questions I found helpful to ask in this time of confusion is, well, what did God last say to you? You know, before all this uncertainty, before things kicked off, go back there. Go back in time to your thinking when things were much clearer and pick up from there. Start again there. Uh, because although there's been change everywhere, God doesn't change. And what he says remains constant, so you can stand on that. And for many of us, it really is that simple, just to retrace our steps and get back on track. But for others, it's not that simple, because they've taken a wrong turn and they can't find their way back, or they've messed up so badly that they can't go back, or they wouldn't go back because they're actually running away. These people need God to step in and intervene. And this is what happens with Jonah, a man who was running in the opposite direction in an attempt to put himself so far out of God's reach that it was impossible to do what God had told him to do. It's like he said, hmm, God says go to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. That's the opposite direction, thousand miles away so that means I won't be able to do what God has told me to do so take that God now that was his strategy but you see God is outrageous with grace and he intervenes in Jonah's life to give him another chance actually I think there's something pretty amazing about that so many people can get worked up about missing God's plan for their lives but if you peel back the curtain in Jonah, you'll see that God is working out his plan anyway. And I'm not saying that we can't miss it. You know, outright rebellion and sin can do that, it can mean that. But for most of us, what we experience when we get off track is inexplicable delay and confusion. Something blocks you. You can't get where you want to be and run as you might you just end up running around in circles because God has hemmed you in and you're stuck beautiful and Jonah shows us that delay can be nothing to do with opposition it's not the devil it's not even other people it might not even be you it's God that he's standing in your way, that he's protecting you from something. He's giving you another opportunity to do the right thing. He really is that gracious. So I want to take you through the rest of chapter 1. We started last week at the beginning of chapter 1 to see how God intervened to get Jonah back on course 
after only a brief but deadly delay. Because Jonah, you can run, but you can't hide. That's kind of this message. And it's the same for us, you know. None of us can hide from God. Doesn't matter what you're up to, he knows. Your path isn't hidden from him. He knows where you are. He knows what you're doing and everything about you. But he loves you enough to find you and to bring you back. I think we've already heard that a few times today. So, Lord, we just want to ask you to, to come and wow us with your presence. Come and unpick us, Lord, whatever needs unpicking in our thinking. Come and breathe truth on us because your truth sets us free. Come and bring freedom to us. Anybody that's stuck, Lord, I just pray that, that this message somehow will unlock the logjam in progress that we've been making in our lives. I just pray for freedom to come in Jesus' name. Amen. I really do have a great expectation of preaching the word of God because Jesus says that we'll preach and signs will follow. And I really do believe that, that when we declare truth in the body of the church, that freedom comes, that miracles happen, that lives get changed. That's my expectation. So let's just read uh, this passage. I'm going to start with looking at Jonah at Joppa. He gets on a boat full of idol-loving pagan traders. So that's verse 3. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3. It says that Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and after paying the fare he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And I don't know about you but as I've looked at this passage I have become more and more convinced that this is a setup. Have you heard of Sneaky Jehovah? I think he's up to something here uh, in this set of choices that Jonah inadvertently made. So tick off the plot with me as I go. He ran in, he ran to the Philistine port of Joppa to get onto a boat likely made up of Phoenician traders, that's uh, Canaanites, to flee the assignment that God had for his life to preach to a bunch of unholy unbelievers. Um, actually, Jonah, that's completely where you've gone right now. He surely didn't realize what he'd done because he was now locked down in a ship from where he could no longer run with exactly the kind of people that God was wanting him to reach and that he was running away from. Of course, they weren't exactly the same people, but can you see the plot lines for a setup here? And see, what I have found is that God has a way of working out his plan for our lives, whatever decisions we make. Anybody? You know, I, I found over the years that getting direction from God is, is, is more like sat-nav than straight lines from here to there. You know, you can start out on a journey, take a wrong turn or two, and before you know it, the route has recalculated, and although it might take a little more time, you still get where you were meant to get eventually. That's what it's like. That's how gracious he is. Does that encourage somebody here today? <laughs> you might have got off track, but he's going to direct you back. He's going to get you to your destination. And so as I see it, God has Jonah inadvertently trapped in a boat on the sea, potentially for months, with precisely the kind of people he's already told him to reach. But even then, God doesn't let him get very far because he sends an almighty storm that ensures further delay. God sends a storm. Verse 4 and 5. 
the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. <laughs> and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. I love this, that the literal words here, which I've researched, I don't speak Hebrew, but this is how I understand it, that the Lord threw a great wind at the sea and caused a violent storm. The Lord threw a great wind, a kind of supernatural weather bomb, which unleashed a terrifying storm. And it must have been terrible for the legendary Phoenician seafarers to be afraid. But perhaps it was just the way that the storm kicked off so suddenly, out of nowhere, possibly even in sight of the land, because as we see a bit later on, as the storm gets worse, the, tailor, the sailors try to row back to shore, which means that they could presumably still see the shore from the boat. And hold on, there's no storm on the land, there's a storm over us. What on earth is going on? That's just my imagination, but it's possible. And the passage is clear here. The Lord sent the great wind. The Lord did it. This wasn't superstitious sailors blaming pre-sail rituals. This wasn't primitive man with no scientific knowledge of how weather systems work making this remark. This is what the Bible says, that God did it. How does your theology cope with that? I think this is a hard thing to understand, and I've really wrestled over how to talk about this. But the lengths that God will sometimes go to work out his plan in our lives. God sent the storm. Can you handle that? Can you handle the fact that sometimes God will allow great difficulties into our lives to stop us from pursuing a course of life that wouldn't have been best for us? It wouldn't have been the best for us. Can you handle that thinking? I know for us, Alice and I were just talking about this last night, and we've looked back over the years of some of the things that we've been through, and, and we found that we've been able to reframe some of those difficult experiences and say, actually, that was the making of us. Do you know, if we hadn't been through that, I wonder where we'd be right now. And, and, and I, can, I can look back and say that God has used a whole series of, of, of events to, to stop stupid mistakes that we were making. He's stopped us in our tracks. He's diverted us. He's got us back on track. God sent the storm. And he sent it not for punishment, not out of anger, but to protect us from something worse. I mean, who knows where some of us would be today? If God hadn't stood in our way and, and, and kept the door closed on something that we were pursuing. I remember Billy Graham saying once that if he'd had all his prayers answered, he'd married a, he would have married at least 15 women by now. Now, I have to say that, of course, there are some wicked storms that come which are nothing to do with God. But there are also seasons, I think, where God allows hard things to bring us back on track. He sends the storm to get our attention. But it doesn't always work even then because sometimes the storm isn't even enough. For goodness sake, why are we so hard-hearted sometimes? 
What's it going to take? What's it going to take to bring some people back to God that have gone off on their own way? What's it going to take to people who refuse to consider God at all? What's it going to take? Well, Jonah is asleep. You know, while all the sailors are panicking and throwing their cargo into the sea in verse 5, it says that Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And he's hiding in the deepest, darkest part of the ship. And to complete his escape from reality, he falls into a deep sleep. Actually, it's an unnaturally deep sleep. And it may have been caused by exhaustion because we know he's just taken a donkey for 500 odd miles. And I can imagine that's pretty exhausting. Except that the language here that's used implies something deeper than that. It's like he's in a kind of a coma. He's in such a deep sleep. He's so hardened himself to God's voice. He's, he's become so angry with God. He's so hidden in the darkness of his rebellion and sin. And, and there's also kind of despair to it. A deep sadness has fallen on him, even a depression, which says, well, what's the point anymore anyway? I might as well just die. So deep was that sleep. And can I just say, it's no fun running away from God. It really isn't. You know, sin can satisfy for a moment, but after that moment has passed, there's a deep sadness that crushes the soul without the blessed relief of forgiveness. And some people that have wandered away, they're not happy. They just don't know how to get back. So don't stop praying for those that are lost. Don't stop reaching out and offering hope in the darkness. Don't give up on those that have fallen away, have heard the word of God but have rejected it. Keep loving them. Keep showing them acceptance and grace because it's going to remind them of what they're missing. But look, even there, Jonah can't hide because you know there are no depths that you can go that God can't reach. There's no sleep that you can hide in where you can't be woken. There's no journey you can go on where God will not meet you, entreat you, and draw you, and give you back your hope and a future. And do you know what? I think he can even give you back more than you lost. Because that's what he's like. So God sent in the captain. And that's verse 6 says that the captain went to Jonah and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that he will not perish. This godless pagan captain was like a prophet to Jonah. He even uses the same words that God uses when he called Jonah in verse 1. When he said, get up. And go to Nineveh. He uses the same phrase, get up and call on your God. Wow, that must have freaked him out. No wonder he woke up. What is this pagan captain speaking the word of God to me now? And it's not just me. Many commentators point out the irony of this captain mirroring God's own words to Jonah to wake him up. But it's because Jonah's been given a second chance. Wake up, Jonah. How can you sleep? There's something God has 
has got for you. There's something that he's told you to do. And this captain, he's no man of faith, but, you know, God can use literally anybody to reach you. Think about that when you're praying for people. Lord, reach them through anybody and everything. I heard of one man uh, being reached through a, a voice that came on the radio, completely out of blue and out of context, a voice that spoke the word of God to him. God can use literally anything to call people to himself. He doesn't know the God that Jonah worships, so he, like his crew, just assumed that some God was angry with them and that that God or some other might stop the storm if they prayed to it. But he wants Jonah to wake up and pray for him. This has really impacted me. This pagan man who doesn't know God says, I really need you believers to pray for me. I really want you to pray for, and I think there's a call in that. You know, I think we need to be awake in the storms that are coming in the world one after another. They're affecting the whole world. An awakened church that hears the cries of unbelievers in the, in the face of global disruption. Right now, this pandemic, you know, it's been terrifying for so many people. Project fear, or whatever you want to call it, a pandemic of fear has come on us. And guys, it's time to wake up. That's the word I've just felt God put on my heart, to wake up to the war now that threatens the whole world and generations of our children. To wake up to the economic hardship that's right on our doorstep. It's going to affect so many people in our community. Wake up to the threat of environmental disaster. There's so many wake-up words at the moment. And I think we need to wake up and be alert and responsive to the fear of those that are around us, to those that have questions, to those who need love and reassurance at times like this. And, but we also need to wake up and pray. You know, the church needs to pray like never before. It's interesting to me to see this pagan captain calling on Jonah to pray. And admittedly, he doesn't know the right way to ask. And he's kind of mildly offensive in putting Jehovah God in the same category as all these other idols, if you think about it. But in that moment of fear and extremity, the captain's asking Jonah to pray for him and for his crew in the face of a violent storm so that, he says, God will take notice of us and so that we will not perish. And do you know, as I read that verse, I just felt the wind of the Spirit on it as a now word for us. Take notice of us. Pray that he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. To wake us up, to be alert and pray, especially when people ask us to. Look, guys, don't ever say that you'll pray about something and then don't do it. Don't ever do that, especially when an unbeliever says, and it happens Unbelievers ask us, please, will you pray about that? I know you're a praying person. The amount of times I've been asked by an unbeliever, please, will you pray about that? Why do they do that? Well, it's just like this pagan captain. I'll try anything, you know, it's so desperate. But you better pray. And I tell you what, don't wait till you get home to pray. Do it there and then. <laughs> do it in the office. It doesn't need to be... Oh, Lord Jesus, hands together, eyes closed. It can be, Lord, will you sort that for them? 
Will you do that, Lord? What they've just shared, I just want to bring that to you right now with my friend here, right in front of me, in the office, just quietly, just sensitively. Pray right then, on the street, wherever it is that you're asked, be ready and willing to pray that God intervenes for them. Pray that they won't perish. Pray for them that they will find peace and hope in a storm. I don't know, can you feel the Holy Spirit on that? I think it's going to happen. This is, as I was being prepared, I think this is going to happen time and time and time again. As things happen, will you pray for me? I'm really scared. You seem so peaceful. I remember in my, when, in my office years ago when uh, we were all being made redundant, I, I apparently seemed really peaceful. I didn't think I felt it that much, but I kind of gave it to God and said, well, God, you're in charge. And, and the bosses came to me and said, how is it you're so peaceful? I said, well, I've, I kind of prayed. Well, can you pray for everybody else then? Yeah, of course I will. Pray for them to find peace and hope. And do you know the tragic thing in this verse is that there's no evidence that Jonah responds to the captain's request for prayer. He doesn't pray until he gets into the belly of the whale. Is that what it's going to take, church? What's it going to take? I mean, perhaps Jonah just doesn't think they're worth it. He doesn't seem to like the pagans very much. True story. Perhaps he doesn't see the point of it because he's so far from God, how is he going to listen to me anymore? But the captain's still asking him to pray. And so, but, you know, because he doesn't, the, sailor resorts, the sailors resort to superstition and cast lots instead in verses 7 and 8. But, Sneaky God is in the lots, and he reveals that Jonah's the cause of their troubles because Jonah can't even hide from the dice. Now they want to know all about him and the God who's causing this trouble for them. And so we see that Jonah's identity comes out of that hidden place. And I feel that for some of us today, God is calling you out of your hidden place to stand up and stand out for such a time as this. The church is a light on a hill that cannot be hidden and neither can you be. I think there's a calling on us to wake up and to stand in our identity. Jonah 1, 8 and 9. So they asked him, tell us, Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? I mean, who is this God is what they're asking. Who is responsible for it? And what kind of work do you do? I always get a bit funny when people ask me about my work. There you go. Where do you come from? I don't mind saying that bit. What's your country? From what people are you? Well, we're the people of God. And do you know, he doesn't answer. He doesn't even answer these questions. I mean, what a bad evangelist. There is an open opportunity in the middle of a storm in desperation. They're pouring out the questions and he doesn't answer them. But he tells them who he is and the God that he serves. Verse 9, I'm a Hebrew and I worship. That means literally to fear. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. 
And it says Hebrew rather than Jew or Israelite because that's how the sailors would have known him. And he also tells them that the God he serves isn't just the God of the sea, but he is the God and creator of everything. <laughs> Which kind of freaks them out because the sailors had this idea that there were gods for various things and he had to just speak to the right one at the right time and then it would be okay. But Jonah's God trumps them all. And this terrified them, verse 10, and they said, what have you done? I mean, what terrible thing have you done that he's trying to kill you? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. I mean, it had all come out somehow. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what shall we do to you? to make the sea calm down for us. I mean, how do we appease this kind of God? That's how they would have understood it. That was the frame of reference, that God needed to be appeased, but some kind of sacrifice was required. Here it gets a bit dark. Jonah attempts the ultimate escape. Verse 12. Ah. Oh. This is it. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. Because I know it's my fault this great storm's come upon you. I don't know if you can see this, because it's tragic, it's dark. But Jonah is tempting the pagan sailors to do what he couldn't do to himself. Kill me and you take the blame. Appease God with a human sacrifice, a sacrifice he knows God would never require. Oh, wait. But not yet. This wasn't what God required at all, but the sailors didn't know that. In their pagan rituals, they would have had this concept of sacrificing a human being, bloodletting, all that kind of thing. But that wasn't Jehovah. And so Jonah is trying to manipulate them into a kind of death-by-cop routine, which neatly avoids his own culpability before God and for any awkward suicide questions he might get on the other side of eternity. And hey, he gets to take a few more pagans with him. They've got no hope of salvation anyway, so why does it matter? Okay, I'm using my imagination, but do you get it? There's no compassion in him. He is passing the buck. He's making it their problem, their responsibility. And yet he seems to be so, oh, it's my fault, throw me out. I don't think so. He disrespects these men and any moral values they may have. He manipulates their superstitions to give him the ultimate escape, except they won't do it. Verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they couldn't, because the sea grew even wilder than before. Who was getting mad now? I don't know. But Jonah must have been mad with them for foiling his nefarious scheme. But they refused to live up to the moral depravity Jonah expected of them. How do you view the unbeliever? They don't want God. 
They're not interested in Jesus. They're just interested in their sin. So why bother? Anybody want to confess to that? Sometimes it's so hard. They don't listen. They don't seem interested. They seem to enjoy their sin. It's not true. In the end, the men had no choice as the soon grew even wilder than before and they cry out to God and Jonah goes in the sea. Verse 14, they cried out to the Lord, please Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Wow. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Wow. How did they know that stuff? Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Wow. Ha! They got saved, Jonah. <laughs> they cried out to the Lord. They asked for forgiveness. They repented. They said they, they looked to obey him. They, they repent in their fear of the Lord. They offer sacrifice to him. They get saved. They've become believers anyway, despite Jonah. Despite his hatred of the unbelieving nations around him, God offers salvation to them anyway. <laughs> because it's not only Jonah that can't hide. Neither can the ministry God has given him. The Apostle Paul tells us that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. No take-backs. God uses us anyway. So it doesn't matter where Jonah goes or how much he tries to hide or run away. The nasty pagan people are still going to get saved because he's that good. No wonder Jonah is offended by such grace. Look, I just want you to know today, I know we've said a lot, we've covered the whole chapter, but I want you to know that God's plan for your life still stands. His gifts and callings are still significant. And you may have gone off course for all kinds of reasons, but he wants to bring you back. And for some of you that have been unsettled and confused, it's just a moment to retrace your steps. When did God last speak? Go back there. If you feel like you've just gone off on one and you're out there somewhere and you really are very confused trying to get direction, just retrace your steps. That's all that's required. I think you can do that even now. You just, in the Holy Spirit, just say, Lord, what was it you last said to me? Sorry, Lord, I've forgotten. And he'll remind you. And the others that have just gone way off course, but you know God has hemmed you in and he's not going to let you go any further, especially now you've heard this message. There might be a big storm, but I don't want to prophesy that over you. Come back. Come back to where God has caused you to be. And there are some who are hiding. They are hiding and... You know, there's a whole issue of secret sin or another life that's going on beneath the surface that nobody else knows about, but he knows. No more hiding. Because I believe that God's going to shine the light. But I just feel like there's a number of people, you've been hiding your gift. 
You've been hiding who you are. You've been hiding the calling that's on your life as well. So I don't want to just focus on the negative stuff. I think there are some people that God wants to call back into his purposes. He hasn't forgotten. The callings and gifts of the Holy Spirit are still as relevant today as when you heard them 20 years ago. Some of you longer. But I think all of us need a wake-up call today to respond to the cries of those around us and to re-engage with the needs of the unbeliever. I don't know where Alison's going. There she is. Look, um, I mean, we are, we are having story after story at the moment in the storehouse, which she's going to share with you on Wednesday. There's a plug for Wednesday, the family night, of people who've walked in and just can't stop crying because they're, they encounter the presence of God in the storehouse. There's people that are desperate for Jesus. They've been shaken to the core by some of what's happened and some of what's going on at the moment. I tell you, this is a new day. There's a move of the Spirit, and I believe there's even revival right on the edge. We are right on the edge of a significant move of God. That's what I believe. And all of us need to pray. I just want to finish with, um, I don't know quite when it was, uh, when we were at Resonate, Vicky. When was that? Was it a month ago? Six weeks ago. I felt God really speak to me. We were praying for different people's families, you know. Um, it seems like there's lots of leaders there, lots of pastors, and there's been lots of kids kind of go away from God. And, um, and we were just praying for them. And as I was going around the room, just praying for different people, over and over again, God just kept saying, Easter time, Easter time. There's going to be many resurrections at Easter time. There's going to be a, a move of God over the Easter period. And some of those young people are going to start to question, start to make their way back. And as I was praying this morning, I just felt God said to pass that on to you as well. A sense of expectation for the prodigals to return that we are in the season of the return of the prodigals. I know it's been said before, whatever. This is just the urgency I felt from God, that in this season we're going to see many people come back to God that have gone away. So I just want us to finish with praying that in. Can we just stand together? I know it's Sunday afternoon. We're doing our best to sort that out, but let's just stand together and pray. Will you just stir your heart? And if you can't think how to pray, just pray in tongues. But we're just going to raise our voices together and say, Lord, we ask you for the return of the prodigals, those that have gone away, that they will come back now. Call them back, Lord. We prophetically call them in right now. In Jesus' name, call them back to you, Lord. Whether they come back to us or not is not our issue. It's whether they come back to you, Father. Holy Spirit, wake up. We wake them up, Lord Jesus, from whether they are that prodigal son who was eating with the pigs, Lord, and he suddenly came to his right senses. Lord Jesus, we ask you for that awakening. We ask you for an awakening in Jesus' name. Those that have gone away, Lord, that they will come back. We pray for Damascus Road encounters, Father. Those that are on a wrong trajectory, bring them back. Stop them in their tracks and bring them back. We just pray for salvation to come to our nation. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Let conviction of sin fall on us and fall on, on this nation, we pray. In Jesus' name, 
Thank you, Father. Amen.